Welcome back to season four of the Disciples Made podcast, six trends that are the least likely yet most necessary trends we must see in disciple making over the next 10 years. My name is Brian Phipps, founder of Disciples Made, and I'll be your host for this season. The topics we are discussing this season are critical, which is why we're asking some of the world's most effective disciple makers to join in to the conversation. And it's our hope that you're going to do something more than just listen to these podcasts. We hope you will hear them and then pray and discern what next steps you and your team, if you have one, need to take in order to help bring these trends into a reality. With that said, let's get ready for the next conversation. The second trend we're going to look at is dying to self becoming greater than entitling myself dying to self, becoming greater than entitling myself. What do we mean by entitling myself? Well, I looked this idea of entitlement up in the dictionary so that I could bring a helpful you know, baseline to this conversation because this is one of the most touchy uh, conversations going on in our culture right now. And for those of you who've been listening for a long time, you know that we like to wade into these hard conversations. And today will be a tough one. And the other ones that are coming behind will be tough as well. But that's what we want to do. We want to wade into the more challenging areas and come out with truth and ways that we can push forward together. And here's the definition. It's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. The definition of entitlement, the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. The way we talk about entitlement is the disposition to prioritize your own rights over leveraging your life in order to help others. I say that one more time. The disposition to prioritize your own rights over leveraging your life to serve others. It's the opposite of what Jesus modeled. It's the opposite of what Paul summarized in Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about Christ, who was God and had everything, chose to become nothing and give up his life in order that we might have life. And of course, it says that Jesus became the greatest of all in that process. And we see this process reflected in baptism. Baptism symbolizes us choosing to lose our life for Christ as we bury ourselves into the death of Christ. And when we come back out of the water, we're raised to life with him. Dying to self is Jesus' invitation to take up your cross and to follow him. Paul expounds on this in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we realize this is a complicated issue. The rights for many have been threatened or outright taken and it's just not good. That's the reason we have a wisdom of many counselors on this panel. It's why we welcome these tough conversations. All right, let's dive in. Well, it is so, so good to welcome two new disciple makers. Well, they're not new disciple makers, but they're new to this podcast uh, today. Shalom Liddick and Grant Skeldon. They are joining Rob Wegger. Wow. <laughs> I haven't known you for long, Rob. Rob Wegner. Sorry about that. You Andy can call me Smith. Wob. 
if you want to. I can just call you Wob. I probably okay. need to do Y-N. that today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Wob. Carrie, uh, uh, Lauderser, and uh, so thank you guys for coming back. What a great time we had last time on episode one. So grateful to have you back and look forward to your wisdom. Shalom, do you mind just kind of starting off and sharing, just introduce yourself, your name, your ministry, and why were you crazy enough to uh, to step in, in the middle of your busy schedule to be a part of this podcast? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Brian. I really um, appreciate it, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm Shalom Ledek. I'm out of Tucson, Arizona. I pastor a network of house churches out here in Tucson, and um, heading up also a nonprofit, um, Heaven's Ladder. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now, disciple making, disciple making. That's like everything, right? Um, For me, that's the basis of our Christian word. Jesus told his disciples, come follow me. And and that's what discipleship is up. It's all about, come follow Jesus, you know, Mm. learn how he moves, how he walks, the rhythm that he moves and, and then, you know, follow. And so that's why it's important for me um, to take the time to come have these conversations. Awesome. Thank you very much for being here, Shalom. And Grant, tell us a little bit about yourself, name, ministry, and why are you here? Yes. Uh, so my name is Grant Skeldon. I am uh, living in Nashville, Tennessee. Just moved here and got married. Um, about nine months ago and joined uh, Q Ideas, uh, led by Gabe Lyons and Rebecca Lyons. And um, yeah, big heart with us at Q to help leaders better engage faith and culture, Um, but also realizing more and more every day how important it is to uh, not just reach the next generation, because I think that the conversation has been so focused on just reaching them and getting them back in church. but I do feel like that's a really low bar. If we just got them back in church, that's a good place to start. But we really oh, don't want to reach them, but empower them and do ministry through them. And so um, I luckily am very fortunate to receive discipleship two weeks after getting saved. And um, it wasn't until I got older that I realized most of my other friends didn't get discipled so quickly after their salvation. Um, but I would make it and point to it as one of the key differentiators of my story and many other story and the reason I stayed in the faith and stayed in the church. And so mm. it's been a big part of my heart to uh, normalize discipleship or jokingly uh, make the commission great again. I love it. I love what you said there. Um, and I love the fact that you're here to speak into this conversation because one of the commitments that we've made here at Disciples Made is we're going to take time to debrief these conversations uh, as a team here at Disciples Made and go, okay, uh, based upon what we've heard and what we've learned, what is the Spirit teaching us to do as far as how we change? And I'm not 25 anymore. I once was, and I remember being 25 and looking at the stats of my generation and the significant drop in the previous generation to my generation going, we got to make this generation count. And it's just so, so fun to be at a stage in life to see uh, the next uh, generation popping up and having the same type of burden. And so I can't wait to hear, Grant, what you have to say uh, that'll help shape kind of what we do here. So thank you again uh, for being here. So we're talking about the six least likely, uh, but most necessary trends that we need to see in disciple making. And today's 
uh, hypothetical most necessary trend is seeing the trend of dying to self become greater than us entitling ourselves or entitling myself. Dying to self is greater than entitling myself. I shared a description of these in our pre-recorded take, but here's a quick summary. Uh, dying to self is choosing to invest my life into serving God of, and others instead of serving me. Say it one more time. Dying to self is choosing to invest my life into serving God and others before serving myself. John the Baptist said it very succinctly. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Entitling myself on the other side is the disposition to prioritize your own rights over everything else. That's language I've uh, made up to some degree, um, you know, but it's all the only reason I have these kind of things is to kick the dialogue off. I uh, mentioned in our intro that this is a very complicated issue, and I look forward to wading into it with these tough conversations. So I'll just ask, is this a top 10 most necessary trend? Why or why not? And Grant, how about we start with you, put you on the spot and let you go first. Uh, I think, especially in the next generation, uh, dying to self uh, or entitlement, <laughs> yeah, is a, is a big one. Uh, I can't speak to the whole church, but I, I do think, um, you know, I, I got to be a part of a, a retreat we just did. And it was about 250 high caliber young Christian leaders uh, from across the country. And I, I told them, I think, yeah, one of the biggest problems in my experience, and these are all, these aren't college kids that are on fire for Christ. These are like, if they got invited, they got invited because they are leading on a national level. It's like an author, musician, professional athlete or Olympic athlete, uh, speaker, online influencer, something that they're doing. And, and I said, I, I saw a quote by David Platt where he, he, you guys can't see my hands, but he kind of had this where he said, we all are called to raise God's name um, in ministry. We all are doing that. Uh, but we subtly, even maybe without noticing, we're, as we're raising God's name, uh, we kind of subtly want to raise our name with God's name. It's us, that's our hope. And, and we're disappointed when we raise God's name and our name doesn't raise with it. Or worse, I would say, especially for young people, I see this. And I've even seen it in my own heart sometimes when I'm working really hard to raise God's name and my name is decreased, but someone else doing the same exact type of work, their name is raised in the same area of what I'm trying to do to raise God's name. And I feel challenged that their name is raising for raising God's name in the same arena. And so um, I, I really think it's really important that uh, we are reminded that like, it's great if our name rises with God, but um, the goal is actually to decrease so that he increases. And I think as long as we kind of want or need our name to raise, it hurts us. And so there's someone um, I really am focusing on lately as the 12 disciples, who I think is often forgotten, um, but he's just a great at um, so I, I want to be more like him. And I think it's Andrew, um, because Andrew really, all he does is he, he has this great experience with Christ and immediately he wants to tell someone else about it. So he goes to his brother, Peter and says, Hey, you've got to meet this guy. And, um, you know, it's crazy is you really just don't hear that much about Andrew after he introduces Peter to Jesus, all of a sudden, then Peter becomes the focus and Peter goes and does unbelievable and incredible things. And I love for us as leaders of all generations to kind of get to this place where it doesn't really matter who gets the credit. It doesn't really matter who goes and does the great things for God, because at the end of the day, we cast our crowns 
before Christ in the end. Like even if we do, even if we Billy Graham do big things, those everyone is casting their crowns before Christ. And mm-hmm. um, I just think so much. What if we just see the story over and over again? And like, what if a Saul, for example, towards the next generation with David, everything was great until he until we saw who got the credit until. Um, he started seeing David get more credit. And I think, man, what if Saul was secure? Um, if Saul was secure and he could have, it didn't have to be, oh, now it's David's turn. It could have been David and Saul leading together. And I just think so many things could have maybe been fixed if maybe Bathsheba wouldn't have happened. Maybe Uriah wouldn't have died. Uh, maybe Jonathan and Saul wouldn't have died as early because they would have had David on the battlefield with his army as well. There's so many things that actually impacted the nation if I just think Saul could have been secure um, because it didn't just impact them too. I think it impacted a lot more people. And I think the same thing happens in our churches when we're not secure in God's glory and alone in God's name alone. You are hitting um, in a deep spot with your comments there, uh, inviting all of us to consider our motives, which at best are mixed, it seems like. Am I doing this for God? Of course I am. Until I realize I'm a little jealous or insecure. Wow. Uh, let's, let's just keep going around. It seems like that's going to come back up because that's a big tell-all. Uh, Shalom, uh, what would you add to this conversation? Oh, wow. Um, yes, definitely. I believe that dying to self is a part of what needs to happen for sure. <laughs> okay, I have a tendency of um, of getting in these important conversation and exposing myself, and it makes me feel terrified. And so, um, a few weeks ago, I think it was about last week, um, I was reading an article in Oklahoma. This guy had been released, and he was going to go on a debt sentence, right? And on our dinner table, we started having this conversation. And, um, and we're all like for no debt sentence, right? And, but coming from a culture where I have experienced leaders and people that are supposed to care for their own, and yet they're the ones destroying the people, I tend to walk around with this idea that some people need killing and and I said that and my kids looked at me like whoa pastor mom and I was like oh this is awful I'm a terrible pastor aren't I and so I we got into this conversation and we kept talking and we kept talking we went to bed the next morning I woke up um during my time of prayer I opened the scriptures and it says happy and blessed are those who have mercy because they will receive mercy. And I was like, dang it. Ah. And so I'm getting ready to go on a trip and I give my kids a hug and I, I whisper to them, I'm like, I was wrong. And my daughter was like, what do you mean? I was, I told her, I'm like, I opened my daily text and this is what scripture says. Mm-hmm. And she was like, wow, God knows how to get you good. Right. And so and, 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 I, and I say this because sometimes it's because we forget. We forget how deeply 
we are loved. We forget how deeply we've been forgiven. We forget how deeply God has given us mercy that then we walk around with this sense of, um, I, I give me what is mine. I'm owed something. And, and scripture says, really, no, you're really owed debt because you have sinned. Um, scripture was talking about how Christ paid our indebtedness. He paid for it. And so we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And so if I belong to Christ, then therefore my rights is actually his to begin with now that he's paid off for my debt. And so when we walk around with this sense of entitlement, we actually are saying, God, this right that I've given up to you, I want it back. Mm. And that gets in the way of what Christ wants to do in us. And our grant talked about um, what if Saul was confident? What if he knew who he was, that there was room enough for both he and David? And, and I really, I heard that and I was like, oh, he forgot his belovedness, right? That he was loved and he was already, he was already chosen. And so there was no need for competition, no need for the struggle. Um, I, before I got on here, I was kind of like, oh God, this is going to be weird. What am I going to say? And I just heard the spirit of God say to me, you're already, well, I'm already well pleased with you. Right? And what if Saul had heard that from the father? I'm mm. already well pleased with you. Then everything else would have just been like, you know, I guess mm. it's fine for that to happen because God's already pleased. That's just my two cents. That, and that's, thank you for sharing that. That's vulnerable. And you basically said, I've received all the entitlement that I could possibly ever long for. And I can choose to sacrifice it out of my own fear and insecurity. That's awesome. That, thank you. Uh, Mandy, what are you thinking? Yeah, this is actually kind of meta because I just raised my hand to a volunteer to go next and even that is a moment to be like am I am I seeking entitlement here <laughs> you know and I think it's a really healthy conversation that we're having at the moment um, about all the abuses we see of power in the church and in the world and I just I wanted to speak right after Shalom because I think she just did something really beautiful she just modeled something here that I think we really need to pay attention to that she did tell a personal story and yet she masterfully did not make it about herself. And so I think we really need to be careful when we're talking about entitlement and selflessness um, because I think it really is helpful for us to, to make sure that we're not making it about ourselves. But sometimes that actually can go to a kind of pride where we actually keep God's work very objective and very impersonal. And I've actually been pulled up in the middle of speaking about vulnerability, um, interrupted by somebody saying, you just keep talking about yourself. I came here to hear you talk about the Bible. And I think that actually is um, an interesting, it was, a, it was a clarifying moment for me to say, isn't the Bible <laughs> spoken by the same spirit that is at work in our bodies? And mm -hmm. 
And when we speak about the Bible, shouldn't we also like, like Shalom just beautifully did, shouldn't we also be able to just seamlessly be able to say that same spirit is at work in my life around the dinner table and in my conversation with my children. And so um, there's, I think we really have to be careful in our kind of, you know, a culture that loves objectivity to, to take the risk to let this word be subjective you know this embodiment that that god when he became the word didn't become a sentence written across the sky he became a human being and walked among us and then that same human being said i speak my spirit into each of you in the most tender spaces of your lives where you really would rather that i didn't work <laughs> and so um yes i think i think absolutely dying to self is an important significant thing for us to be talking about at the moment and at the same time i think we need to be really careful um, to understand the nuances of that because that um that dying to self also plants something in us that wants to grow in this very personal space and that beautiful story that shalom just told was was a very very a story that's very unique to her and at the same time she for any of us who stand on a stage regularly we understand that yes people are looking at you but if you're turned to the soloist who's singing right now your attention is drawn to them and so anyone who's looking at you is being drawn in that direction and so shalom's attention in her story was drawn not to herself but to god and so as she tells that story any direction any attention we're giving to her she's deflecting she's referring it back to god and so there's a beautiful skill there that i think we just got to watch i just wanted to name that thank you for that because grant brought up the motive component which you know i mentioned we all probably ought to admit that we have mixed motives because if we don't then we can never be on the lookout for the ones that are self-serving and you can't repent of something you haven't really identified it's like if I did a good sermon, then I walk off into the green room and I'm looking on the Twitter feed to see how many people have quoted me. There might have been some self-serving portions of that and things like that. So it's kind of fun to start to identify what are these cues that this might be more self-promoting than, than others. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of digging here with what, what you're saying. Rob. What, what, where's your brain at right now? What are you hearing? What are you thinking? Um, I keep thinking about Philippians chapter two. Um, and even though Jesus was the unparalleled, undiminished, full revelation of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used for his own advantage. And I am a three on the Enneagram. And, uh, I, my normal compass is like up and to the right, achieve, achieve some more. And um, it's taken a tremendous amount of pain in my life to join Jesus um, in that descent. I mean, it's kenosis. It's the self emptying way. It's revolutionary for me. And it's counterintuitive because I mean, the world's agenda and the world's compass is go up, be more, uh, get bigger. And just deeply embedded in the way of Jesus is go lower, uh, descend. It, it's his one 
operational mode. And um, I'm, I just kept thinking about um, one of the darkest seasons of my life where like on the scoreboard, things were up and to the right. Um, but internally, um, I'd realized I'd been building this false self and it was connected to all this hurt from my childhood. And, um, and I finally found freedom when I was willing to go down into the basement of my soul with Jesus and look at all those scary things within. Um, and just one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is when Jesus was here, you know, he spent 90% of his time in obscurity, you know, invisible. And uh, I, I just wonder if we're willing to embrace that. I'm asking myself, you know, <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I, I mean, I think this is fundamentally at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Like, will I embrace the descent, you know, or am I just going to go with the standard operating procedure of the world, which is entitlement and false self and more. Uh, so, and Shalom, I was very moved by your story too. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, even thinking about this question heading into this call, I just kept thinking about the really practical implications of this right now in pastoring people at my local church and having conversations with pastors about the intensity of this moment right now, this cultural moment. And so, um, Rob, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, not a three, so I can be our resident pot stirrer, but I just immediately was thinking about, you know, the number of pastoral conversations I'm having with people about what types of COVID mitigations they're willing to enter into right now, you know, and you talked about Philippians two when Jesus laid down his privileges and his rights, but just before that, Paul is telling people in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And we talked a little bit last week about kind of deconstruction and reconstruction. And so I'm constantly trying to pick apart the threads of what we've been given, right? And I think if we're going to get past this trend or begin to disciple around this idea of dying to self and, and getting past my entitlement or what's mine or what my rights are, I do think there's a sense of, um, what has been discipled into the culture of our churches that we have to be really attentive to. And so when I pull at those threads, you know, I think even this idea that we were founded as a Christian nation, right, not necessarily um, around religious freedom, but a Christian nation, then that means my rights and my freedoms and my liberties are a priority. I think we have unintentionally tethered these things together. And so our discipleship, I don't know, at least what I've been handed, would root out entitlement when right now, when I hear a lot of people in my church or in other churches talk, it's a lot more about my rights or my freedom or you know how we prioritize the matrix through which, which we make those decisions. So I had a conversation this week with a pastor about the Sermon on the Mount and how you know, it's really clear if you're asked to go one mile where a Roman soldier could pull you out of the crowd and say, you have to carry my pack for a mile. Jesus says, go to, right. And we were, we were in jest saying that's probably wearing a mask and a face shield. Like even if it's, you know, like what is the version of if you're asked to go one mile, go to, and I, I just, again, and again, I'm like, okay, if I get to the end of this and I look really silly for laying that particular right or liberty down? Is it worth it to look silly for the sake of Jesus? So I, I think there's so many practical implications right now that we're faced with the fruits of our discipleship in this particular theme. Mm. 
you raise and all of you like the accumulation of your answers to that particular question is this a top 10 has suggested that it might actually be a top two or three if not the top um and it's begging me to ask a question that's not been, that you haven't been prepared to answer but i think it'd be worth just kind of trying to step into some shaky water and ask like we don't have to have everybody answer but if you got an answer to this i'd love to hear it what happens if the trend doesn't change and the self-entitlement continues to escalate at the rate it's been going? Because the answer to that scares me, but I really am interested in hearing what you have to say. So oh, sorry for dropping that on you. We will destroy the environment, or we will crash our economy, and we will have a, uh, a pandemic that accelerates. It's literally that serious. <laughs> And I, I don't want to sound like uh, trite or uh, kind of, you know, lighthearted. I mean, it's literally that deadly serious. That's what we're up against. And we've had this apocalyptic season. And I don't mean like end of the world. I mean, like unveiling. Here's what we get when we all grasp for entitlement. We, we're literally reaping the whirlwind. Yeah. Politically, relationally, like socially, physically. It's... We're at a key moment of reckoning for sure. I think so too, Rob. Carrie, you look like you wanted to share something there. Yeah, I just, I have, I lose sleep over this one and was just um, at Wheaton College with a group of pastors talking about the, this is the way, you know, the trajectory that the church has been on with people leaving the church with, I think it's between four and 8 million millennials walking away from the church since 2016. I am a millennial, but don't tell anybody. Um, I, this idea, the, there's this fascinating trend that has happened in marketing, right? It's like a multi-billion dollar industry. People would take out an ad in the Super Bowl or billboards, or, you know, there was a way that marketing was approached. And in the last several years, we've seen this shift where now they'll call Kylie Jenner and say, hey, wear my like lip gloss on your Instagram page and we're going to pay you millions of dollars, right? They've looked for people whose lifestyles represent a brand and they are brand ambassadors. And I just wonder what does that look like? Our people who we're discipling and forming in our churches, they are brand ambassadors for the way of the kingdom, mm, mm. whether they accurately represent it or not to the watching world, they are the witness of the church in the West. And so I think what's on the line is the way of the kingdom. You know, are, are people going to be compelled and drawn to the ways of Jesus because of what they experience through this community of followers of his, or are they going to be repelled and repulsed by what they get from us? And so I think there's so much on the line in this moment of how are we forming our people and is the brand their ambassadors for really the way of the kingdom or not? Where, where does the allegiance fall? Um, yeah, it's high priority. Yeah, and Jesus, the brand ambassador, who uh, says, "I'm just going to go to the cross and die." It's not too, it's not too vogue. <laughs> well, and it, and it tells you what what should be modeled, right? The way of self sacrifice and self emptying. And I know that's kind of a crass way to put it, but it's like the best example I can think of in today's present moment of these people are walking around representing us. Are they so representing good? Us? Mandy, looks like you uh, have a thought on this. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I'm physically feeling a bit sick right now as I'm feeling with you all this, this sense of urgency of like, this is a moment and we need to steward it well. And I do think we need that urgency for the sake of our own um, stewarding it well. At the same time, I'm, I'm here in Australia and, um, you know, the church is a tiny blip 
uh, on the horizon compared to what's happening in the US. You know, if, if I go to a national conference of Christian leaders, it looks like what a state conference would look like for you guys, you know. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a sense even further of, of, and I think Europe looks like that. A lot of other places around the world look like that. And there is a sense of desperation in that place. I love the fact that you use the word apocalyptic because I think it can be really clarifying and really revealing at the same time. And uh, I love this image that God has put into our bodies that, you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to make a, you know, have a tantrum with your parents. I didn't do this personally. I was a very well-behaved child, but I have seen it where children like hold their breath in order to hold it over their, their parents, you know, and any parent knows like that kid is going to hold its breath, it's going to black out. And then the first thing it's going to start doing is breathing again. And so I think there are things like that, that God has set into our bodies and into creation and into the church that right when it looks like this thing is, is just never going to work, something is built in, like the crisis actually brings something new and it's, and it's very, in the desperation, there is an opportunity for us to stop our desperate scrambling, like right now, whatever desperation we're feeling in our own faith, in our congregations, when we, when we look at the church across the world, I believe that it's an opportunity for us to just stop for a second. If we are, if we are wise enough from our desperate scrambling, just like we see in the Psalms, that so many of them begin with desperation of where are you, God? Are you even listening to me? And they somehow go through this moment of beating on God's chest. And somehow, even if God doesn't fix the problem that seemed to be the main problem, the main problem has actually been fixed as soon as we turn to him again and say, are you even listening? <laughs> you know, that moment of turning to him. And so, um, I, I, for the last five or six years, have been feeling called to pray for revival. And I know like that word brings up so much baggage. And I think throughout the 20th century, it's been this like human made big gathering where we have this measurable outcome that human beings drummed up and we can say we did a thing. But what we see throughout the history of God's church is, is this kind of like it's got so bad, like a child holding its breath and having a tantrum, that it's an opportunity for something new to break in because we all feel so desperate and because we are all so aware of our need for something outside of ourselves. Um, and so I don't know what God means by pray for revival. And I don't even know what revival looks like or if I even want it. But I do think that this is a moment. And I think I'm starting to see it, that, that in the desperation, if we just stop scrambling to do everything in our own strength and trying to fix it all in the church and in the world and with COVID and all the rest, like I see some people who are, who are seeing the opportunity in this moment as well. Um, and I'll just use this one quick metaphor and then I'll be done. Um, when I was in geology class, um, my professor would say, you know, you can date something based on how much um, earth has built up in, you know, it takes a thousand years for a foot of dirt to build up. And so this thing is buried a thousand years deep. And then he said, but with a volcano, that thousand years of, of stuff gets built up in five seconds like that. And so that's a really wonderful moment for me to remember that um, according to our timeline, we can say like, oh, it's got this bad already in the next generation it's going to be this much worse but uh but volcanic moments you know there are moments of crisis moments of sudden change and i think we're in that kind of moment right now that um, mountains move like mountains melt that's what that's what a volcano is that's what lava is a mountain can melt in a second and be totally reformed and so i just i want to hold on to that image in my own heart knowing that 
yeah, according to my timeline, according to the statistics I'm watching, we are in such serious trouble. And if we don't fix things in the next five years, this church is dead. And at the same time, mountains can melt. So I don't know what God's doing, but I trust that he knows how to use a crisis. He's, he's done it over and over, hasn't he? He's done it over and over and thank goodness for that. So let's start to turn the conversation then. Grant, we're going we're gonna to come to you uh, and start to ask. We've kind of said that this isn't a likely trend, but we've said it's necessary. There's plenty of things in the way of moving from entitlement to uh, denying ourselves. Um, one of the phrases that we use here at Disciples Made is we're looking for high humility and high capacity people high humility and high capacity people. It's not that we don't like people with lower capacities at all, but man, uh, we, we want to make sure that humility is in the language as much as any type of competency. Another phrase we use is we like to choose obedience over competence uh, language that we're using. So that's kind of one way to get there. Uh, Grant, tell us, uh, is this a likely trend? Why or why not? What is it going to take to start the trend? I will say that I feel like I heard the pastor at Hope Church, I think it's in Raleigh, um, same scary vet. He said this line maybe two weeks ago, and I feel like that's true and I'm thankful for it, is um, he said this COVID and tension and riots and everything that just keeps adding up is kind of making every pastor a rookie um, again. And I kind of am thankful for that. And and he said, and luckily, I, the way he said it was like with gladness. He's like, it, and the, he's at one of the biggest churches in that city, one, probably one of the biggest churches in North Carolina. And I just love that he would say proudly, thankfully, hey, we're all rookies here. Because um, he could um, easily say, well, some of these smaller churches that are really struggling, they are, but we're kind of figuring it out. I mean, there's a lot of leaders that started, <laughs> there's a lot of leaders that are like, leading us through COVID. And I'm like, I don't think they've ever been through COVID. Um, so it's like, <laughs> it's just funny that um, how many experts there are on COVID. And so I kind of like the idea of um, being a rookie. And the reason being is, you know, when I, when I first started, um, about 2014 was the first time I actually ever got asked to speak on the next generation and unity. Um, I got the privilege of I was a real like afterthought, afterthought speaker, by the way, like two days before the event, I think they realized that there was no one in their 20s speaking at this conference. So I'm not even in the booklet on the panel. I got thrown in. So like, oh, crap, we're talking about millennials and we don't have a millennial. So um, don't act like because uh, the next speaker is a big deal. I'm again, two weeks before, two days before. But I actually was supposed to be uh, showing I was like Tim Keller's like chaperone guy. And I mean, not chaperone's not even the right word. It's probably more I'm his his sword bearer, whatever they call it, when they like just pick up his stuff and like help him around. And I, the point of the story is, it's like this whole conference was all about unity. It was all about what if we could bring business leaders together, church leaders together, nonprofit leaders together. In in this case, the Dallas area, and unite leaders to better work together to impact Dallas. And he had been doing this for about six, seven years in New York. And it had been effective of uh, creating unity among pastors, nonprofit leaders, business leaders who have an invested interest in the welfare of the city. Um, but I asked him, I was like, this is the first time they replicated in a new city. And I asked him, are you, are you excited to do this in a new city in Dallas? And he said, 
no. Um, and I was like, what? Why? They're like headlining you as the, the guy like for this. What do you mean? Like, you're not excited about it. And he's just said, I don't think Dallas is a good city for unity. And I love Dallas. I've been in Dallas for decades. I was like, yeah, I just was like, what the heck? How can you like talk about Dallas like that? And he said, Dallas, he said, I think the team picked it because it has money. It has big churches. A lot of ministries go to Dallas to do their big thing. But when it comes to unity, he said, it's not a good city. Um, he said, the reason why is because he said, the line that really stood out, he said, the churches in Dallas aren't desperate enough for unity. And for me, that's been a line that I've kind of like, really, I think the timing of it was so perfect for me because it really drove me uh, to do something about that. Uh, and he, cause he would go on and say, they're just not desperate enough for unity. Um, they're so big that technically they could go five, 10 years without ever talking to their neighboring churches within the five minute, 10 minute region of where they are. They don't even have to technically talk to them. They probably don't really talk to them uh, and they'll still be successful. Uh, but well, I thought about it and I'm like, he is right about Dallas churches. Um, he isn't even right about big churches across the country, but that's not true of next gen Christian leaders um, and the next generation of Christians. Um, I sense a lot of desperation among the next generation of Christians. Uh, and not like we're just striving. It's just kind of like, man, they're hungry for community and they're hungry to learn and they're hungry for mentorship and discipleship. Um, I always say if leadership is lonely, imagine being a young Christian leader when most of your friends you grew up with in, in church, in high school, a couple years into college, they're gone. They don't follow the faith. They're not in church. And the few that are left in the church, if you're a leader of the few that are left, they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Um, and some of them are still halfway in and halfway out. And so uh, it's just so lonely for young Christians. And I actually kind of am thankful in a way because that desperation, I think, is at the center of unity. It's at the center of being a rookie. It's at the center of being broken and contrite. And God doesn't despair of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't want a generation that feels like professionals or feels like, oh, we got this. Uh, I, I see it most, especially in the church, among church planners. They're so desperate. They need money. They need resources. They need friends. Church planners will be friends with anyone. Like, um, And so I, I like those guys because they're like, I'm going into a new place that doesn't want me here. I probably chose this part of the country or the city because it needs Jesus. It's not welcoming Jesus. Um, and so anybody else, and I don't care. I don't know. I just, I think about like, you know, I, don't, I doubt missionaries in difficult parts of other countries, they don't have the luxury to be divided. And I would just say that the next generation doesn't have the luxury to be divided. And there's, there's a lot of hope in that. Um, so I do think the trend of us putting, getting ourselves in the way. Yeah. I, I think that's a big trend. However, um, man, when we can go back to the gates of hell, not prevailing against God's church and give it back to him, like, this is your church. It's not my church. It's not the black church or the white church or the big churches and the small churches or the mm -hmm. this denomination church. It's his church. Um, yeah, I think that'll be really powerful to see what, what God does. Sounds like what you said we need is a little um, brokenness. A little yeah, bit brokenness of... Uh, is a good thing. Yeah, he'll he'll always lift up. Shalom, we haven't uh, heard from you for a bit. Let me let me hand this over to you and say, you know, what's what's it going to take? What would you add to that? What's it going to take to see this trend to start to emerge? 
for a second there, I thought this trend is probably not going to happen um, because for something to become a trend, it requires a certain level of momentum, continuous momentum for it to happen. Um, however, however, I do believe I'm, I'm, I'm someone that if somebody's going through a crisis, I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Now you can meet Jesus. Like now you can experience grace, right? And so I think that in the middle of all the crisis, in the middle of the chaos, that then we can see Jesus, right? And it's when we see Jesus, then the trend will happen. And so I don't think that it's a trend that is going to happen now. I don't think it's going to happen soon in a way that we think it's going to happen. However, I believe that as more and more people begin to see Jesus in the middle of their brokenness, then the trend will happen. It might happen 20 years from now, really, but I don't believe that it's something that will happen in this very moment. And I think like Carrie said, when she was talking initially, there has just been such deep discipling that has happened throughout the church that we need to like, you know, you have to like take the whole thing off to build it back up. And so that's not something that is going to be easy to do. There is, we, I was talking to a friend of mine because I'm, I'm, because I wasn't born here, I struggle with certain terminologies, right? Um, if I have this conversation, oh, Shalom, are you liberal? I'm like, well, what, what is that even? Oh, Shalom, are you conservative? Like, who cares? What is that? And so as these conversations happen, it's because we've been so discipled into believing that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, looks like something specific, right? And so until we, as leaders that are like not taking this journey of like Rob said, downward mobility, uh, start having conversations with people, discipleship, like inviting people into our living rooms, to the dinner table and having these conversations, are we going to start breaking down the, the roots that have been so deeply, so deeply impacted. Roots are not easy to pull out, especially mm -hmm. roots that has been stenched. I personally never thought that having a different political view as someone was ever going to destroy a friendship. That's not something that I, like, I, it just never crossed my mind that a family would decide that they were no longer family simply because they had different political view. Yet last year, I had so much conversations with family members, with parents, with children, people that I'm like, why are y'all crazy? Like, no, like, what is going on, right? I never would have thought that. 
Mm. Yet it happened. And that is like, because we've started, we sort of equated Christ with politics, one way of politics. We've equated being the kingdom of God with being in America. And there's just so many things that we've equated the kingdom of God as that has been so deeply embedded within us that it's a great trend. I would love to see that trend, but there is so much tearing apart that Christ has to do within us and bring us to ground zero where we're now immature baby Christians and for that to regrow the way of Jesus to regrow within us before that trend will happen. And so I don't know when it will happen. It's not going to be tomorrow though. It feels like, um, it feels like this should have been a 12 hour podcast, Like we are just starting to get into this conversation. Um, and unfortunately we've got to start uh, to, 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 uh, un, un, you know, end the conversation, which breaks my heart, but let me go to, uh, Carrie and then Mandy and then Rob, like, what do we need to do to see this trend move forward? And if you have something, uh, that your ministry does in particular to help us get there, what would that be? We'll start with Carrie, go to Mandy and then wrap up with Rob. One of the things, you know, as I'm even processing how we're engaging this conversation, when we look at the apocalyptic revealing of this last 18 months, right? It's it's not illuminated anything that wasn't there before. It's not like it brought on new problems. It just illuminated what was there all along. And so I totally agree with Mandy. There's an invitation here for us to enter in in a different way. And actually, so much of what has been illuminated actually really has to do with this conversation and has to do with our power, right? And I think when we look at discipleship, I don't know about you guys, but there's very few places that we're discipling around the idea of power. Uh, and I'm really compelled by the idea of Galatians 3.26, like there's no male or female slave or free Jew or Gentile. We are one in Christ. But when you look around us, that's not exactly what you get. And you don't get to just acquiesce power. Each of us holds power or privilege or, and it's about stewarding. And I will never forget being on the roof of a refugee camp in Palestine. And we had spent time in Israel and in Palestine, we're understanding the conflict. And there was a woman on the trip who saw a bottle rocket on the roof that said made in the USA. And all of a sudden in this moment, she felt complicit in the conflict that was happening there. And she wanted to denounce her status as an American citizen. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, hold on. You don't get to do that. That, that, that is a part of your identity, at least here. And so you simply have to ask yourself the question, then how am I stewarding whatever that is that I hold? And so I do think from a discipleship perspective at a very practical level, if we're going to embody the ways of Jesus, we're going to embody what it means to steward our power, to steward our influence on behalf of who doesn't have that around us. And one way that we're trying to do that at community, um, and, and we dream of seeing relationships between men and women being redemptive such that it's compelling to the watching world and racial reconciliation happening, coming from the church such that it's compelling. And I had an experience on the way to DC last week with a guy on a plane who could not believe we were doing work on racial reconciliation as a church. He's like, wait a minute, the church is in front of where, you know, this organization he worked with, but one of the tools, resources that I will plug that we use is this um, experience called Undivided. 
And it is like a starting point for people to uh, people of color, uh, white people, you know, you go through a series of almost immersive experiences where you're just identifying what is the place and perspective I hold in the world? How is that different from my brothers or sisters? There's some empathy building that happens. There's history and data and stories about like American history. But every bit of it is rooted in theology of why this is actually our work to embody the ways of Jesus. And when we do that, we're establishing his kingdom here on earth. And it is the most compelling and winsome community on the face of the planet if we can live into this. And so those things give me some hope that I do think, in a sense, we're saying we're so dependent on Jesus. There's no earthly way we can do this without him. But if we can elevate him, people will be drawn to that. And we, as his body, are called to embody the ways of the king. And so I have hope that it can happen yes. if we're in it together. Yes. Let's keep putting that brand image of him up in front. Mandy, to you. Yeah, I think that it's really good. Thank you for that, by the way, Carrie, that was really powerful. Um, what I think has helped me on a personal level and also as a leader is to just name the discomfort of all of this personally, when we are confronted with things that we can't fix and control and understand. It's a very, <clears throat> it's a very honest moment, but it's also really painful, especially in a culture that will tell us uh, you, you need to be on top of things all the time. You need to always have the answers. And, and um, I think it's actually the way that the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness to say like you've got just this small human body to do this huge mission like maybe you could do this like push fast forward get the quick fix kind of button going here and Jesus every time resisted that temptation and said no I'm going to do it with my with my one small human voice thanks very much and every time it feels like it's too much for me I'm just going to go back to the father doggedly go back to the father and so I think one of the skills that's really helpful here is to to feel that pain in our bodies every day of of how we cannot fix our families we cannot control our kids or our churches we cannot understand the mysteries of the universe and yet god has given us a role to play and so i i often say i'm not comfortable but i'm getting used to the discomfort of that experience of just knowing my limitation, confronting my limitation and trusting that's a place where God's strength can be revealed. If we are not ashamed of our limitation, as we saw in Jesus in the wilderness, he was not ashamed of his human limitation and he was more comfortable being human than I think we are. And so for me on a daily basis, um, what this looks like is an emptying prayer which has actually transformed my life because every day I wake up with more energy for the being God in my own self. <laughs> you know, I'm ready every morning with fresh energy to fix it all and control it all. And every single morning I have to have an emptying of God, here's how I want to understand this. And I just release that to you. Here's how I want to control this. And I release that to you. And the beautiful thing that happens is I believe we're actually already filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we always say, fill me God, because we can't feel that power. But I believe our work is actually just to empty of our own power every single day. And suddenly that spirit that is already there has just been given more space. It's not that the spirit comes and goes, it's that our willingness to release our own power into the hands of the spirit comes and goes. And, and the funny thing is, the more that I have practiced this emptying prayer, 
without realizing it, the more there's just been an availability to things that I wasn't available to before that are really powerful and transformative. And so this is what gives me hope that that in these moments of crisis, when we are confronted with our inability to control it all and fix it all, it actually is a deeply sacred moment if we steward it well to say, oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to be God and it's okay. So that gives me hope. Man, that that's beautiful. And man, imagine that unleashed. Imagine that volcano. <laughs> I know I kind of just inversed the metaphor a little bit, but just imagine if that's what flooded the earth. That's beautiful. Rob Grant, last comments? Uh, for the Kansas City Underground, uh, as you know, we're this decentralized network of microchurches, these very small, hyper-local, extended spiritual families. And the blueprint we're trying to follow is pretty much what you see happening in the first chapter of Acts, especially when you think about Acts 6 and the uh, Hellenistic widows are being overlooked. They're being marginalized. And uh, I think the scripture there provides a pretty amazing blueprint um, for how we take our influence, our power, our resource, social capital, voice, and advocate in a very intentional way for the marginalized. So for us, one of the things we're trying to help Every microchurch embraces, like center the, the marginalized in the name of Jesus, in the church, in the streets, you know, like in your context, look for um, the different forms of marginalization, whether it's isolation or it's sickness, or it's something to do with disability or racism and actually move towards it and invite it into the center of your community and, and learn and listen um, and it's, and the Holy spirit will make this so clear if, if you're willing and available. So for us, it's simple things like there was an old guy in our neighborhood who, uh, I said hi to, I don't know, 50 times and he ignored me. Um, but I didn't get close enough. It wasn't until I moved a little closer that I realized, oh, he's half blind and he's half deaf. <laughs> and, and as I moved closer, I realized they'd lived in this neighborhood longer than anyone, but they were also more isolated than anyone. And, and one day when he was walking his dog, one of the members of our micro church, we were all hanging out on a driveway. We invited him up and um, to have dessert. And uh, then we went to our discovery Bible study and he went ahead and stayed. I don't know how much of it he actually heard, <laughs> but at the end, he's like, y'all do this regularly. We're like, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm coming back with Linda next week. And just long story short in six weeks, uh, Linda opened up and just said, um, we've lived here longer than anyone and we feel very alone and we don't have any biological family. And for the first time, and we don't know how long we feel like we have a family, you know, and I think that's what it looks like. Like we need to start the work with that kind of centering contemplative prayer, but we have to work it out in community, in the streets by actually pursuing uh, the the margins and, and inviting it into uh, our community. So I think that's where it really becomes like where the spirit of God can start multiplying that. And when that little yeast in the dough starts getting multiplied in a city, amazing things can happen. Like one last thing, the hottest spot in the underground is actually the incarcerated and the formerly incarcerated. And so we bring them to the center to say, would you teach all of us? Like God is moving in your community in a way that we wish he was moving in ours. So you're our leaders. You know, and I think when we keep doing that, then the spirit can bring the uh, move the mountain, you know, bring the volcano. Love it. Thank you.
Brand, I know I said we'd wrap up with Rob, but it just seems to me that um, if this is a trend that's going to take a long time to see into reality, it will be your generation that starts to um, take the investment and turn it into something meaningful. So I'd love to end with you if there's anything more you'd like to add to wrap up this conversation. One, Mandy, what you said about the Holy Spirit, that's just massive, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think just the idea of like, yeah, we just get into, it's like, how can I pray louder or pray stronger for God's presence and in my life? And just the idea that like, he's already given it to us. It's a promise. It's, uh, it's just like, how can I get out of the way? And every day I got to kind of do that. Um, I think it's powerful. I just think if we can get this next generation who's just, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've seen those numbers on like how every generation, more percentage of the generation legitimately thinks that they're going to be famous um, and wants to be. Uh, so if you got, it's such a great lie of the enemy is like want to be famous and then, or follow the, the person who's God who says die to yourself and pick up your cross. It's like that's going to be very unattractive um, to them. And so, uh, you know, when I think of Genesis, I think of like the, the opportunity we have, you know, in Genesis, I see it as like the relationship God had with man was God and man. And uh, they actually had like God and man in the garden. And then whenever there was sin, it kind of broke down that relationship to where God's relationship with mankind kind of went from God and man to God for man through the prophets, through the word, through the covenants. Um, and then, of course, with Jesus, it went from God and man. God for man to God with us, um, with God uh, kind of taking the form of man. And there's such a privilege we get to where it went from God for us, God with us, to now like God in us with the Holy Spirit, um, which Jesus gave that to us. And um, yeah, I just think for this generation, no matter what denomination they're in, what region of the world they're in, what industry they work in, if they could really tap into not only just daily, but moment by moment. Um, presence of the spirit telling them what to say what not to say what to do um, how to be an ambassador like Carrie was talking about um, yeah I would I'd love to see that and uh, I'm just thankful for y'all's generation everything um, you guys have invested in and given us opportunities to uh, join the work that God's doing y'all have picked up a mix <laughs> yeah You've picked up a mix and I appreciate the, the mantle that you're carrying there. It seems like we've come full circle all the way back to John the Baptist. Um, I must decrease so that he must increase. A little less of me or a lot less of me or empty me uh, to fill me with you so that he's the one that speaks. May it be so. Friends, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for speaking so candidly. And I look forward to being back with you on a future episode of this season. We'll see you then. Once again, the wisdom of many counselors has come through. I'm grateful and I cannot wait to process this information with our team. Currently, here's how Disciples Made is prioritizing this shift. First, we prioritize Bible engagement coupled with obedience steps and accountability. And when you're reading the scripture, you're constantly hearing the verses like we talked about at the beginning of this episode. Die to self, you know, be crucified with Christ, take up your cross and follow me. And when you're on a daily basis, repeatedly being 
trained by Jesus and engaged by Jesus to take steps of obedience and you are coupled up with others for accountability to accomplish those goals, you will see yourself becoming less like John the Baptist and Jesus becoming more in you. And that's the fruit, that's the gifts, and there's a lot of joy that happens in that. We constantly keep that that downward mobility of baptism going forward and the resurrection into a new life in Christ. Look forward to seeing you next time as we get together and talk about how DM is going to shift our focus based on the conversation we just heard. See you then.